remember the doors opening, there was this six foot five, lovely, lovely person in his green army uniform. And I remember slowing down and almost stopping and looking at him going, God, you're in trouble. <laughs> G'day and thanks for tuning in to Anything Goes. I'm your host, Edwina Robertson, a.k.a. Eddie. This show is brought to you with the intention of sharing interesting stories, experiences and conversations from, well, mostly normal people. The following episode is one of my favourite love stories and for all you love tragics and hopeless romantics, this will give you the warm and fuzzies. Suze Davies, thank you so very much for joining me in the studio today. I know your daughter, Gemma, quite well. We've just had a lovely holiday together in Mallorca and I asked her when we're on holidays, hey, Gem, do you know anyone with a good story? And she said, oh, no, not really, but I'll have a think. And then maybe like the next day or the following day, she pipes up and she goes, oh, have I told you about my parents? And I said, no, what do you, what do you mean? And she said, oh. They have this incredible love story. And then she elaborated and I said, right, Gemma, I need to get your mother on the podcast. (laughs) It's a crazy story, but thank you for having me. (laughs) It is a crazy story. So who are you, Suze? What does your life look like on this day in 2023? I'm Suze Davies and I'm a Zimbabwean who lived in the UK for a while and now an Australian. And our day-to-day life is 20 acres with lots of horses repairing pipes, fixing fences, bandaging legs, and having the time of our lives. Fantastic. And you have two children? Two children. It's a bit bizarre to call them children now mm. because two they're, both, children. they're both approaching 30, <laughs> you know, and I think what I was doing at their age and, you know, here am I still being a mum to two children. Yeah. Mm. So I've got a boy who's Charlie and um, he's nearly 30 and I've got Gemma. Is currently overseas. Living her best life as Living well. Living her best life. We miss her. <laughs> now, what is your story, Suze? Well, my wedding anniversary is in a few weeks' time and it's my 31st, or our 31st <laughs> wedding anniversary. It's a long time. It's a long time. Tell me about it. The grey hairs sort of <laughs> proved that. And we met and were engaged within nine days. Can you just repeat that for me, please? You met and were engaged within nine days. But we did have six weeks in between the first four and the final five before he popped the question. So when I was thinking back on it, when you phoned me and said, oh, would you do the podcast? I went, oh, okay. And then I was thinking, I thought, who does that? You know, you meet somebody, although we we had met a, a couple of times beforehand in a different country. Who, who does that? You see somebody for four days, you go away for six weeks, you come back and five days later, you're engaged to a person that you really don't know an awful lot about. It is kind of wild. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy. Let's go back to the start, Suze. How did you meet? I was working for American Express, the, the travel division of American Express in Harare, And we had to work every third Saturday. And one of my accounts was the British High Commission. And part of a division of the British High Commission was something called BMAT, which was the British military training team. And they were there as part of the 1980 transition agreement to train the 
other elements uh, and they were part of the agreement to come in and, and train these people to be a more comprehensive, unified army. So there was a headquarters in, in Harare for, for the British military and they were all army guys. And then they flew in various personnel for, for a four-month stint and there'd be this rotation of men coming through, you know, there were officers, there were soldiers, they all had a different job to do. And most of them came across my desk. I got to know their names because I had to book their flights. But come a Saturday morning, some of them would beetle down from the mountain on a on a Friday night, you know, go to the clubs. Um, and then if I was working that, that Saturday, they'd roll in pretty hungover. My Saturdays, I used to dread because... I knew they would roll in at 11.15. And, and I was, was meant to be at 11.30. You know, and they were all so lovely and so charming. You can go, you just couldn't look at your watch and go, terribly sorry, I'm closing, I'm out of here, goodbye, my weekend starts. So quite often I'd be there till 12 or 12.30 because there wouldn't just be one, there'd be three or four. So... That's how the rotation used to happen and, and how I used to meet people coming in. And how old were you at the time, Suze? 26, 27. And the year was? Oh, Eddie. No. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think. 30, mm, 32 nine, years ago. We got married in 92, so this would have been 89. 89, 1989. So pre, pre-internet, pre no, pre-everything. Um, yeah, pre-everything. Pre-everything. That's why there were travel divisions, mm. you know, why these, these people came in. Because, yes, you could book a flight by phoning the airline, mm. but you couldn't pay for it. There were no credit cards. And so on this fateful morning... Well, Peter and I were chatting the other day. We've had this discussion occasionally <laughs> when the story comes out, that how many times we actually met across the desk before he left. I honestly only remember twice... He says, no, 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 no. There were three times. <laughs> Sorry, darling, I can't remember. But he came in the first time. He just got off the flight. And I think three or four of them arrived. They were all charming, really lovely. But Peter's very blonde. And there's not really that many blonde, blue-eyed people around. So he slightly caught my attention. He sat in the corner we said hello and they you know the others said oh if you need anything get hold of Sue she can she can sort you and he went oh okay I probably want to go to Kenya for Christmas and I'm absolutely passionate about Zimbabwe and and southern Africa because it's such a beautiful beautiful continent and it did cross my mind I thought why do you want to go to Kenya you're in Zimbabwe surely you want to do stuff around here anyway that was a passing comment. And then he came back in two, three weeks later, I think. He said, yes, I definitely want to book flights to Kenya. And I said, oh, Christmas time, it's, it's really busy, but I'll see what I can do. And failed. I couldn't find him a flight. Oh, So dear. I had to phone him <laughs> one evening because, you know, they were out working all day, no mobile phones. So I then had to phone him in the evening and go, I'm really sorry, but I haven't managed to find you a flight. And he went, oh, don't worry, I've, been, I've got hold of a different agency and they've managed to find me one. I went, oh, okay then, we'll have a great time. <laughs> and well, those there's, are the, some, there's some disloyalty there, isn't there? And so those were the two occasions that I remember. So do you remember him on the basis that he kind of 
went to another agency and used their services? Or do you remember him on his looks? You know, was it a good memory or a just a... It, uh, was, a, it was a bit of a laugh because, you know, there weren't... It's not a huge city, Harare, and everybody in the industry, the travel industry, knew each other. So I knew which agency he'd gone to. There were lots of year-end parties coming up. I do remember having a bit of a laugh with one of the girls from this other agent because we'd worked together previously. I said, oh, gosh, you managed to get him a flight. And she just had contacts with Air Kenya that I didn't have. (laughs) She'd been in the game a lot longer than I Mm-hmm. had and so managed to pull some strings that I couldn't. Mm. So we had, we did have a bit of a laugh about that. So following that, I'm assuming he went on his Christmas holiday to Kenya? He didn't, actually. And this is where it starts to get a bit complicated. I got a phone call at work on a Monday, and I think it was about October time, to say somebody had had an accident at the weekend and they needed a Kasavak flight, effectively walking wounded, but had had some quite severe injuries. And I needed to organise a flight to get the nurse out to Harare to fly back with him. I went, oh, okay, you know, who is it? This Peter Davis. And I went, oh, oh, shame. You know, it's such a Zimbabwean term, you know, everything's, oh, shame. I went, oh, dear, that's awful. Is he all right? Anyway, he was prepping for some exams and then had jumped in the car to go down into Nyanga village, which was about three quarters an hour drive down the mountain to go and meet friends for supper and had fallen asleep at the wheel and drove off the edge of the cliff. They realised he hadn't arrived, went to find him. There were no braking tracks on the road, but they found some vegetation that had been flattened. And sure enough, at the bottom, there was the pickup. Mm. They couldn't find him. He wasn't in there. It was covered in blood. Through wheels within wheels, the great thing about Zimbabweans is everybody knows somebody. And what had happened is had had this accident, fallen asleep, come to, half hanging out, he'd had a seatbelt on, thank goodness, crawled up onto the road and seen some lights and crawled over and found his way to this house. Nobody was in. Friday night, everybody's out partying. So found a mattress in their shed, collapsed onto that, went to sleep woke up these guys, you know, covered in blood. And what had happened is he'd been wearing a seatbelt, had his arm out the window and fallen asleep, gone off the cliff. So he'd caught the right side of his head. So effectively he'd ripped off the top the top of his ear and the side of his ear and sculpted himself. So there was an oh. awful lot of blood and he'd actually cracked three vertebrae. Oh, top of his how horrific. So, horrendous. Anyway, they eventually, he was put into the maternity ward in a local hospital with all the African mamas having their babies. They managed to ship him out, no ambulances, put him on a mattress in the back of a ute down to Harare, got him into hospital. They'd done the x-rays and they went, mm, you need to go back to the UK. So my job then was to get the nurse out. He so was, the British Army flew him, flew her out oh, and yes. then flew, flew him, him back, back with her. And this is where our communication started because at that stage it had been, he's just another person across the desk. Mm. Utterly charming, lovely, but a lot of them were. (laughs) But that was it. Mm. And a friend of mine's sister had her 21st party that Saturday night. And in those days we started partying mid-afternoon and by midnight the party would have been in full swing. Absolutely full swing. 
And now I had to go to the airport to see them onto the flight. I was furious. <laughs> no, this, you know, party, this party's happening. How dare you? <laughs> so that was my Saturday night completely ruined. And in those days, I wasn't shy about letting people know how I felt. <laughs> so in the nicest possible way, I made it quite clear that he completely ruined my evening and that I was pretty darn annoyed. And that he could get on his flight and go back to the UK. Thank you very much. Put up. You realised at the time that he was also the man that had betrayed you by get, getting a, the Kenyan flight with another agent. You realised that, or did you? Had you not put two and two together at that stage? No, I had put two and two together. So it was a bit of a joke. I mean, Peter is the most charming person, and we did have a bit of a laugh about oh, well, you can't go to Kenya now. Would you like me to phone your other agent to cancel <laughs> your flights? I anyway, think, I think they call that uh, karma in Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> so he went, he was cast back mm -hmm. and in true British style wrote me a, a short note, a little letter to say thank you so much for everything you did. I'm terribly sorry you didn't make your party. Oh, I thought, oh dear, okay. So I wrote my note back, don't worry, I didn't even bother going, no point, by the time you left, everyone was pretty smashed, I dropped in, they were well beyond where I was being completely sober, so I just went home and left, <laughs> yeah, just stirring the pot Stick a little that bit in more. A little, that dagger in a little bit more. A little bit more, but you know, he's got a huge sense of humour, <clears throat> has Peter, so he took it really, really well, and that opened the lines of communication. And so I think after Christmas, he dropped me a, another note. And I think I'd said to him, you know, when, when you're better and when you've got time, come back to Zim and I'll show you the proper Zimbabwe. So how long over that period were those couple of letters? Was that over a couple of months or? He had his accident, I think the end of October, beginning mm. of November. He went back Christmas. So that was sort of over a period of a couple of months. And then he wrote me a note early in the year to say, just to let you know, I've got my next posting and I'm going to Australia for two years. And we'd had a conversation, I think, in, in the airport lounge because I'd done a gap year around Australia and loved it. And he said, guess what? I'm going, going to be in Australia. So if you ever make it to Australia, I'll show you Australia. <laughs> I went, oh, He's okay. a charmer, isn't he? Well, just... <laughs> Log that one and <laughs> if I ever need somewhere to stay in Australia, I might just look him up. Did you feel a spark or was it just more a little bit of flirtation? Or You know sometimes when you meet someone special and instantly there is that connection? What was your connection like when you guys first met or particularly writing those letters? I think there was a bit of flirty going on. I was single at that stage. I had an understanding of the UK. My parents were £10 poms. But, you know, he was a good-looking guy. He wore a uniform. <laughs> he was tall. He's six foot five and blonde. <laughs> although when he had his accident, one of the things that went through my mind is, oh, God, they've shaved all his blonde hair off and now he's got all these scars not much chance of that growing back, is there? <laughs> so there was a little bit of flirty going on, but 
you know, hey, you're in a different continent. I've got my life, you've got your life. Mm. And then I got into a relationship with somebody else who was a lot younger than I was. It was just huge fun. Mm. So I think they may have been the odd postcard, but nothing, you know, I like this person. Mm. He needs to be in my life. Mm. Uh, And then I set up my own business in the travel world. And a friend and I decided that these guys running the safari camps who were lovely, but they weren't very good at promoting themselves and, and business was starting to boom. So we set up a little company taking on safari camps under our wing. One of those things was going to overseas travel shows, being invited on trips by the Zimbabwean Tourism Board. Lo and behold, one of the first trips we wanted to do was to Australia. (laughs) Oh, I know somebody who's not far from Brisbane. And it, it was a little tertiary because... As, as an individual, we were allocated the equivalent of £30 per year, um, but we could also apply for a business allowance. But we were a new business. We didn't have an awful lot of money mm. to, to put into that sort of thing. So, of course, out came the pen and paper. And you had a friend that owed you a favour. I did. There was a big IOU there. There was, <laughs> absolutely. I didn't really understand how far the Gold Coast was from Brisbane. Mm. But I thought, that's okay. I'll make a plan. You know, that's what us Zimbabweans do. We'll make a plan. So I shot off a note and said, "Um, you might not remember me, but I'm coming to Australia. And you did say that I (laughs) could come and stay and I need a bed for three nights or four nights before this uh, conference happens. And then it's in Brisbane and then it goes to Sydney and Adelaide. I'd really appreciate if I could come and stay. And that's all I said is, you know, could I come and stay? Mm. So, of course, I then got the, the letter back. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Let me know when you're arriving. So I then quickly sent a note back. And don't forget, this is over weeks. Yeah. How long does it take because to send a letter internationally in that time? Two weeks. Oh, wow. You know, so it's we're talking two months mm, before it happened. Yes. And said, oh, I'm not sure the flight details just yet. I'll let you know. Mm. So I quickly shot off a note once we knew the flight details and said, oh, I'm arriving in Brisbane at such and such time. Mm. Is that okay? But by which stage it was too close. And I thought, well, if he's not there, he's not there. Mm. I'll make a plan. Mm. And he was, very sweetly, picked me up from the airport. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I had also said to him, I've got travel trip arranged to go up to Cairns for the weekend to go snorkeling. Mm. So I did drop in. I said, listen, I'm, I've got to do this trip. If you'd like to come with me, that would be great because I've got a two-bedroom apartment in Cairns. <laughs> I leave <laughs> I know. Here we go. I leave on, oh yeah, arrive on. Smooth move, Sue. Arrive Smooth on move. Friday, flying up Saturday, fly back <laughs> Sunday, need to be in Brisbane Monday for the conference on Tuesday. Mm. He worked all this out, booked himself Impressive. on the same <laughs> I know. Hired a car. Wow. And came and stayed in the spare room in the apartment. And he did stay in the spare room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had a lovely weekend. Mm. Your first time you spent together was in a foreign country, effectively on, on a little weekend away with him. Yeah. Did it ever cross your mind that what if this goes horribly wrong or what if we don't get along or, 
you know, what What about your plan B? Did you have a plan B or did you just assume it was going to work? No plan B. No foreign currency to make a plan B. <laughs> and the, Couldn't afford a plan B. <laughs> couldn't afford a plan B. And it is a, a very good saying for us Africans. We just go, we'll just make a plan. Mm. Don't worry about it. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen... It'll be okay. It's a pretty special first date. I know. Isn't it? Really good. And during that time, do you remember if you spoke about a potential relationship or was it still a bit of a holiday kind of fling for you? Oh, heavens no. Who talks about that sort of thing? <laughs> no. It was, it was just really good company. Really, really good company. We had a good laugh. We had nothing in common. But there was everything to talk about. Um, so we flew back on the Sunday, stayed at his Sunday night. It may have led to one or two other things. <laughs> so there was no spare, no spare room no spare. in his place. <laughs> no spare room in Canangra. And then he took me to Brisbane on Monday and stayed mm-hmm. in the hotel with me. I had the conference on Tuesday and we were flying out. Tuesday afternoon. That was it. That was it. But he did have the hotels I was staying at. So he phoned, which was lovely. Wow. I was beginning to think, this is quite nice. I'm quite enjoying this. (laughs) I got back to Zimbabwe and about three weeks later, you know, on one of our rather long phone calls, um, he said, why don't you come back for Christmas? I'm hiring a, a boat up at this place called the Whit Sundays. We're going sailing. Are you kidding me? I live in a third world country. I've got no foreign currency. Mm. I can't pay for that. Mm. He said, no, 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 I'll pay for it. I went, "Mm, I'm a bit too independent for this. (laughs) I'll get back to you. (laughs) And I thought, oh, oh, I'm in trouble here. (laughs) So I phoned my sister who was living in South Africa. I said, what do I do? You know, I'm really not comfortable. Mm, No, I'm not. He's not going to pay for me. To, to go over and she said this sounds a bit ser- more serious than you think and I went yeah I think I'm beginning to think that but you know I don't want to be beholden to him no <laughs> I like to pay my own way because then plan b if it doesn't work out I can just walk away and go nice knowing you goodbye <laughs> so my sister and I had a chat she said oh if you go you need to be sure that this is what you want and I went I'm not very good at making decisions at the best of times. <laughs> so I thought about it and thought about it. And I, said, I went to the girl I was working with, my partner, and said, oh, what do you, what do you think? If I could maybe go back and see some of the companies that I had met in Sydney, fly direct from here to Sydney if I can get a business flight. You know, I don't mind spending four or five days. I've got somebody to stay with in Sydney. I'll just go and back up everything I spoke to all these agents about, I had all their contact details. It'd be really good for our clients to just have that little bit more. She went, yeah, sounds great to me. So, okay. <laughs> Did my time in Sydney. We spoke a couple of times on the phone, which was lovely. Flying into Coolangatta. I have to confess, I did put on quite a smart little dress <laughs> and a pair of high heels <laughs> to fly from Sydney to Coolangatta, you know, and trudge around Sydney. It was really hot. <laughs> okay. Got my suitcase out and I remember the doors opening and there was this six foot five, lovely, lovely person in his green army uniform with a big smile on his face. And I remember 
slowing down and almost stopping and looking at him going, oh, God, you're in trouble here. (laughs) It was the uniform, wasn't it? That was it. You're in trouble. He knew what he was doing. This is it. And, And that was it. That was the light bulb moment. It was, wow. Okay. Here we are. So he picked you up at the airport and then you... Off to the Sundays with some of his English friends who were out here and some Australian friends of his. And on day four, there we were at Whitehaven Beach and he said, oh, let's go for a walk down the beach. And I went, oh, that's so sweet. That's so romantic. Yeah, let's do that. So we walked walked off down this this beautiful white beach. And after about five, ten minutes, he, he sort of sat down. I went, oh, Oh, I'll just leave him. He's obviously having some thoughts. So I walked on, <laughs> not wanting to go, what's wrong? You know, why the hell are you sitting down? We're on this front of a beach. The sun's going down. What are you doing? Well, no, I'll just leave him Leave him to his thoughts for, for a minute. So I carried on. I thought, I went back and sat next to him. And he said, oh, have you, have you ever thought about leaving Zimbabwe? I said, yeah, all the time. Mm. I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, I've thought about it. He said, oh, okay. And with that, he sort of didn't get up on one knee, sort of just turned around. He said, oh, well, will you marry me? And I went, um, okay, yes, you know, that sounds great. And then my brain clicked and I thought, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, this is day five of a trip. You've had four days before this. This is day five. And then I thought, oh, of course, absolutely, I'll spend the rest of my life with you. But, oh, England. Yeah, I've been there in, with the Pony Club for four weeks in a heat wave. It was fabulous place. Loved every minute of it. But the weather, I don't do cold, wet weather. So I said, yep, okay. Um, but, you know, three things that we, we need to agree on. And he said, okay, what's that? And I went, well, the first thing is, my children or our children are not going to go to boarding school, particularly not when they're really, really young. You mm. know, if if we do have children, and we hadn't even talked about, are we going to have children? I mean, this this was just out of the blue. I went, you know, if we have children, I I want to be a mum. I want to be the influence in their life. I want that to be me. And he went, no, that's that's fair enough. You know, the second thing is, I'm African. I you know, I don't iron. <laughs> we, you know, were very privileged. We had house staff that did all our ironing and everything. Yeah, they went with us at weekends. So if I was going out, I'd have to pick up the iron. And I'd watched him ironing his uniform in those, you know, couple of nights. And went, there is no way I can get those creases in that place. <laughs> I'm not not doing any ironing. He went, no, 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 that that's all good. And what's the the third thing? And I went, it can't be forever. I can't live in the UK forever because I know I can't do that cold mm. and wet for the rest of my life. And he went, no, that's fine. Went, oh, yay, we're engaged. Yay, that's and he, it. And he had a ring? I didn't know he did, but I didn't know he had a ring at that stage. Okay. It just, I'm not the sort of person that had ever walked past a jewellery shop in my life and gone, oh, when I get married, I'm going to, you know, that's the ring. I had no clue. Mm. And it didn't come up in conversation. It was just this whirlwind of emotion and joy and happiness. And, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I've got a business and my dad's in Zim and I've got horses. And there just was so much to think about. A ring wasn't on my horizon. 
So we went off to Tassie, came to Christmas Day, we had little posies for each other and we were at the lavender farm, which is just the most beautiful setting. And he said, I've got something special for you and brought out the ring. So he'd had it made in that six weeks. Wow. That is wild. Yeah. And 31 years later. And here we are, 31 years later. How long after the proposal did you get married? Uh, So that was obviously the end of 1991 and we got married in December 1992. It gets a little bit more weird though, Eddie. Okay. (laughs) Can it? I just don't know if it can, but can it? <laughs> Please. So any, any normal people would go, let's get married. That's amazing. I'll pack up everything and I'll come and live with you in the UK and, and then we'll get married. But Peter's next job was what they call an unaccompanied tour. So the battalion, his battalion, was being sent to a place that families couldn't go to. In what country? Uh, Northern Ireland. And so... This old mill was on the border and, and they would get 10 days R&R. They weren't allowed out mm. anywhere. So not only <laughs> did he say, will you marry me? I went, oh, yes, of course. And I'm going to come and see your father in February when I'm finished up here and we'll make it official. We had a little engagement party. But I'm now going away for another seven months and I'm only going to get 10 days off and it's my best friend's wedding and I'm the best man so you're going to have to come to the UK (laughs) so how did you take that the fact that you wouldn't then see your new fiance for six (sighs) to seven months were you okay with that or was that just I had so much to do at home Mm. to tie up loose ends (laughs) if you like with yeah horses and family Mm. and work there was a lot a lot to do and organize a wedding Mm. Hello, nobody else was going to do it. I went, okay, I'm quite good at long distance. I've done that before. Mm. I can do that. We can speak on the phone once a week, which is what we were allowed to do. Mm. We had that 10 days together. What was the conversation with your parents? Oh, <gasps> oh hi, hi, mum and dad. <laughs> I'm having a great time in Australia. Everything's going really well. I um, got engaged. By the way. <laughs> I know. Um, sadly, it was only my dad. My mum passed away when I was quite young, okay. um, when I was 23. So the only one of three sisters um, still living in Zimbabwe. So felt a little bit of responsibility there because he'd taken her, her death quite hard mm. and wasn't as independent as he probably should have been. You know, we all rally round and really what we should have done is said to him, you know, come on, you need to buck up and get on with things. But mm. He, he wasn't doing terribly well with that. And we both phoned our sisters. So when we got off the boat and went back to Brisbane for the, or Canungra for that night, uh, we, we phoned our sisters. He phoned his sister because he'd obviously spoken to her and said, well, I think this is what I'm doing. And I phoned my sister and went, you were right. <laughs> it's happened. Although I took the ring off when I went home because I really wanted Peter to be able to speak to my dad. Right. Mm. When, you're, when you're a parent, you know, mm. you know, your daughter's going all the way back to Australia <laughs> with no money mm. to spend a fabulous time with this person, comes back with a grin from ear to ear. <laughs> There's something going down. <laughs> yeah, so um, he was delighted. Did you have anyone say, basically, so what the hell are you doing? Because I can't even imagine, I think if, if I put myself in that position and a girlfriend of mine met a bloke and had spent nine days with him and he'd 
dropped on one knee for her, I'd just be like, hang on. <laughs> well, well, sister, like it's a honeymoon phase. It doesn't mean you start the honeymoon, you know. Like was there any pushback or sort of stern words about this decision and this occurrence? There, there were no stern words. A couple of my very close friends, obviously I'd spoken to them before I'd gone back in the December and, you know, my other sister sat me down she said, are you sure – Absolutely, 100%, 110%, 200%. And everybody either saw it on my face or the way I was talking about it, it was just a given. Mm. There were no doubts, no doubts at all mm. that this wasn't the person I wanted to be with, mm. who was going to be the best thing in my life and would make me very, very happy. Had you had any serious relationships Prior to meeting Peter? I had that first love, you know, when you get to mm. sort of 18 and fall madly in love with somebody. And that was for five years. And, you know, I always thought then, oh, wow, this is the person I'm going to marry. And was utterly heartbroken. <laughs> when I look back on it, I think, oh, God, you suck. I was so heartbroken when, when he broke it off. I was listening to one of your other guests the other day who had lost her husband quite tragically. Mm. And I thought, well, if he hadn't have dumped me mm. you know, you unceremoniously, mm. I would never have met this amazing person that I'm married to mm. now. So although it, it really threw a huge curveball mm. at me at that age, we would have been a disaster mm. together. He and I would never have lasted. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, the world has, the universe has a funny way of making things work. Yeah. Right? And I'm not, I'm not a sort of a casual data mm. type person. I'm either all in or I'm all out. Well, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> no, days well, in, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> do, do you believe in the one, Suze? I do. I don't think necessarily everybody meets their one. I think a lot of... Couples make it work with a lot of work on themselves and their relationships. and the, But it's a very different climate out there now. Wow, what a, a fascinating story. I think you. I think your story is going to ruin a fair few people, though. <laughs> There's going to be a fair few women out there that go, oh, <laughs> this can happen, but it won't happen to me. Or, you know, I'd love this to happen to me. And for others, they might think it's absolutely that Sounds like a bit of a nightmare, probably. That <laughs> you know, for the the pessimists in some of yeah. us that don't believe in the one or don't believe there's one person for us, or it's fascinating though. It's a it's a beautiful story. It's so different, isn't it? Mm. I think for me personally, it's that's just my personality type. Mm. That's who I am. That's who who I. I've always have been. Mm. I've never been attracted to anybody else. Mm. How wonderful. In any shape or form. Mm. And you've been through some challenging times, moving, Peter being posted away, you know, distance. The dynamics are challenging for any family, particularly if you've got young children. So you've your relationship has really stood the test of time. It has. But don't forget, I'm from an era where... You just sucked it up and you get, and you get on with it. You know, my, my parents were very much like that. And I think anyone who's a horse rider would probably relate a little <laughs> bit to it. You fall off, you hurt like anything, 
but you get back up and you get back on again. You, you just got to crack on. Suze, thank you very much for sharing your most wonderful love story. I just, I feel goosebumps and <laughs> butterflies and, you know, fairies right now because it's just magic. It is magic how you and Peter met, how you met at work, the time frame. I'm just trying to get in nine dates alone, <laughs> nine days in an engagement. But the thing is, you never know yeah. who you're going to bump into. Yeah. You're going to walk around that corner any one day and go, oh, I remember Sue saying that <laughs> she felt that this might be the one. Yeah, yeah, I truly, I do. I'm a, I'm a tragic at heart when it comes to love. I do believe in that little bit of magic. So it's so wonderful that you can share your story. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that Gemma sort of mentioned it on our holiday in Mallorca <laughs> together because I needed to hear this and I think a lot of other people needed to too. So thank you for being so open and, and being a wonderful storyteller. No, it's, it's a pleasure. It's been great fun. I've loved it. And it's been really lovely revisiting, you know, that very special time. Thanks for tuning in. In the aim of serving up interesting and enjoyable content, for the meantime, I've decided to remove all the ads. Creating this podcast is a true labour of love as it's owned and produced independently, not with a big network like most of the successful shows, and there's currently no financial gain in producing it. Each episode can take around 20 hours of prep work before it's released, and I pay an audio editor a substantial fee to edit each episode. Therefore... If you love this free content, I would be super appreciative if you could leave a five-star review for the show. Maybe you or someone you know has a great story that's worth sharing. If you do, please get in touch via hello at edwinarobertson.com.